Hi, I'm Adrian Potter. Welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. For most of my life, I've been curious about why people do the things they do, especially people that create for a living. In these episodes, I'm going to talk to people that design and make the most amazing things. I'm going to ask them how and why they do the things they do. Please join me on this adventure into a creative life. Welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. Adrian with you again. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I can't do it without you. Thanks heaps. Today, my guest on the episode is Neil Erasmus, who's going to need no introduction if you're a woodworker in Australia, because he's probably taught you or you've read his many instructional articles in a variety of magazines, including the Australian Wood Review. Neil is a third-generation craftsperson who grew up in South Africa, and of course, we talk about his experiences in South Africa and why he immigrated to Australia, which he did about 40 years ago with his very young family. Recently, I talked to Will Matheson, who's also an emigre from South Africa, and the reasons why he left that country. Pretty interesting contrast with with Neil's experience. Anyway, Neil has recently retired, I say retired in inverted commas, because he's got a pile of very interesting projects coming up, which we talk about, and Neil's just such a lovely, lovely guy, as you'll find out when you listen to this episode with Neil Rasmus. Hey, Neil. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> are you well? How's yes, your, I'm very well. Thank how's you. your how move? You? Is it all good? Yeah, all good. All good. What did yep. you? What exactly did you do? Have you moved into town or have you moved away from town or what? So what we've done is we've moved kind of into towns. Uh, we've moved from Pickering Brook, which is a sort of a rural part of Perth, the east of Perth, and um, we've moved probably 10 k's further into Kalamunda, which is the hills area, um, very similar to what you've got in Adelaide. Oh, beautiful. And uh, so, so we, 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 okay, we're, we're on a quarter acre here. I've got a workshop, not very large, 60 square metres. Um, but look, it suits, suits me down to the ground. I've managed to keep most, if, if in fact, just about all of my machinery. Mm. So I've got, I've got, you know, felled a plane of thickness, a felled a saw, spindle, and of course a bantle resaw. Everything really, um, and I've got, I'm getting rid of a, a thickness sander and and uh, a slot mortiser, which I really, you know, kind of superfluous to my needs. Mm. So, yeah, look, I'm, 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 I can make it. And we've insulated the workshop and air-conditioned it, and, and um, I'm, we, you know, we're still busy fitting it out. But it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a lovely little space. The house is nice, very comfortable. The gardens are quite well established, which is also quite nice. So we're, we're very happy. I mean, the, the best thing of all, of course, is the fact that we are now um, debt-free. You know, we've paid off our mortgage, which is just wonderful. And <laughs> I think that's a wonderful thing. It's it's just great. It really is quite a, a, a nice space to be in. You know, yeah. so we're 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 very very happy. I'm wondering, um, how about your neighbours? How have they felt about you moving in and about to fire up? <laughs> Making noise and so on. Well, to yeah. be honest with you, we we I haven't really operated the machinery as yet. I mean, we we've only just moved, so yeah. we've been here for 
you know, probably four, four or five weeks now. And um, so I haven't really made much noise, but I believe that I've insulated that workshop so well. Um, and, and, and also we have a laneway, which is actually really quite nice, a laneway on the side of, where, you know, the workshop's on one side of the property, and then there's a laneway, although the house is obviously, you know, in between as well. And um, there's a laneway, and then our next-door neighbours, and they, I mean, we know them very well. And oh, really dear. Nice, nice, yeah. nice gay, wonderful people. Yeah. And and I am, I'm not going to operate, uh, you know, like like I did before, where I'm in there every single day, working, you know, anywhere between six and eight hours a day. I'm not doing, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping to spend no more than probably an hour or two a day, or perhaps I know that they go away every. Every Thursday, they're not there, so I know that on Thursdays I can I can make a fair, fair amount of noise. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so look, if, if uh, honestly, if I can put in, I, I I'm imagining six or seven hours a week. I'm happy. It's all I need to do. I don't yeah. need to do. One thing I want to really talk to you about is this notion of retirement and how you're going to feel about it. Yep. Is it something that's a bit nervous for you, or, or is it all? Totally ready for it. It's a really good question, Nat. I'm, I, I mean, to answer that question straight off the cuff, I'm certainly ready for it. I, uh, you know, I've, I've developed arthritis in my arms recently. Not bad. It's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's not so debilitating that I can't work in the workshop, but it's nevertheless painful if I have to lift up heavy boards and so on. Mm. Um, my, my knees are kind of giving in. I mean, I'm 66 now, not old. I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's, it's it's the end of the road for me by mm. any stretch of imagination. It's not. Still but got a tennis career in front of you. I, well, <laughs> perhaps not that, but um, but look, I, I, I still cycle. I do a lot of mountain biking yeah, and, yeah. you know, fairly, yeah. fairly heavy-duty mountain biking. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I love bushwalking, so I'm still going to continue to do that. I mean, in terms of my, my overall fitness, look, I regard myself as pretty fit. I really, yeah. you know, um, I, I'm fit, but... Lifting heavy weights, it's painful now, um, so I don't want to be doing too much of that. No, fair enough. So, Adrian, I'm ready. I'm ready for, for this retirement thing, and it's such a relief not having to come up with, you know, many thousands of dollars a year on mm. fire insurance, because we had to have that, of course, where we lived out in the bush, mm. the, you know, in, pretty much in, in the middle of a, of a Jarrah forest. So that is nice not having to come up with that kind of money every single year or every month. Mortgage, the mortgage was, was kind of stressful. The work, by the way, the work always managed to support that, which is really good. Mm. But there was always an underlying kind of a stress, which I didn't like. I've, I've, never, I've, never, I've never lived with stress terribly well. So, Does anybody? So I, I, guess, I guess not. I guess not. But right now, we don't have any of that. Thankfully, money, money is coming in now through, through the pension, mm. which, is, which, which I'm eternally grateful for in this country. We are so damn lucky to be living in Australia. We really are. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and I can pot around in the workshop, and we can make ends meet quite comfortably. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm as happy as a pig in shit, to be honest. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty happy pig. Yeah. yeah. Is, what are you going to do with the the other five days or six days of your time apart from mountain biking and bushwalking? Have you got yourself well, on a yeah? I, yeah. Look, I, I I think that I, I've spoken to so many retired people now, and I get the same 
pretty much the same answer when I ask that question. And and almost to a person, they say that they've never been so busy in, uh, in their retirement. And I can very, very easily see that that is going to happen with us. So, you know, for, I, I would like to think, I mean, at the moment, we're sort of still easing into our retirement. So I imagine that I'm going to be doing a lot of gardening. Um, not that I'm a particularly good gardener, but I aspire to be one. And so does Pam, for that matter. Mm. So we, you know, we'd like to maintain what he's already a good garden here, which which is really nice. Mm. And um, and obviously spend an hour or two doing that. I would like to think that I'll be out on my bicycle, my mountain bike for maybe another hour or two every other day. Mm. Um, and that, that is wonderful. I'd like to, we, we, we've got dogs. We've always had dogs. They need to be walked. So there's all of that. And then, of course, making furniture. I'd like to, goodness, you know, I can I can carry on forever. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like, there, there are challenges which I'm so looking forward to getting stuck into, like uh, I want to make a guitar. Now, I don't yeah. play a guitar. I'm not a musician, but I've always wanted to make a guitar, something I'd really like to do. Yeah. I've got... I've got some uh, just incre- insanely uh, beautiful Cordesorn King Billy Pine, yeah. which I'm told is, is, is good guitar material. So I'd like to use that. I'd like to make a wooden bicycle one day. You're kidding. <laughs> you know, oh, look, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of stuff I'd like to do. Yeah. And without, yeah. without the financial imperative, the world is your oyster, isn't it? You can end up with projects coming out your ears that – you can prosecute or leave behind. It's all up to you. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. It's entirely my choice. And and that is, I mean, understandably, it is just ridiculously liberating to oh, know that. Absolutely. Um, and, and, of course, there's, there's always going to be the risk that I can become lazy with it all. I don't have to do any of it. But I just don't think that that is in my nature. I, I, I cannot imagine no. that. I really can't. So. No. <laughs> No, I really can't either. I think I think you'll be busy as any other retired person is, and doing the things you want to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, Adrian, another interesting thing is, and, and you might have noticed this, that I haven't taken part in in exhibitions in uh, in the past. I don't know, four or five years, and that is something I really miss. I miss the yeah. interaction with people like yourself. Yeah. You know. And, and uh, I, I, I really, really am looking forward to getting stuck into um, the odd speculative piece that I exhibit with with uh, uh, people like yourself. And um, pushing the whole craft forwards, Neil. Yeah, I, I like to think that. I mean, you, you will. You, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I love to think that, that I can. You know, you mm. asked that question about, or, or suggested perhaps, that, that the best work comes um, in these later years. And mm. obviously, I don't know whether that will be the case with me. I certainly hope it will. And I will be trying my damnedest to make sure it is. Yeah. And of course, I've got the freedom. I've got this amazing freedom right now where I can, I can make what I like. And I can explore all kinds of possibilities in terms of sculptural work, which I've never really, I mean, I've, I've, I've touched on it a little in my career, but mm. not, not really gone into it. So, um, yeah, there, there are some exciting... The other thing you've got, Neil, is a really great depth of skill. Like, you don't have to worry about the learning of the making anymore. All you have to worry about is what it might be. Yes, I mean, look. Thank you for that. I, 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 I'm pretty confident that I can make 
I wouldn't say almost anything because, um, you know. You made a guitar. I, I, you don't I, know if you can yet. <laughs> or I don't know whether I can make a guitar, but I'm pretty <laughs> confident that I can. In spite of the fact that I can't play it, I think that there's enough information out there anyway. Sure, I wouldn't be making it um, without reading a book or two about it. Yeah. But I know that I've got the skills, which is, again, that just opens up all kinds of possibilities because I, yeah. because I feel that I can... I can concentrate on what it is that I'm going to be making, as you've suggested. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to teach too, still? Uh, yes, yes, I intend to do that. In fact, I've already signed up to do an eight-week uh, stint at Sturt next yeah, year. Uh, good. Yeah, next year, 2021, yeah. in September 2021, doing the chair project. And, yeah, good. And Pam will be involved in that as well, as she always is anyway. Yeah, and that's that, that'll be. Yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to that. I, uh, as, as, as I have in the past, it's it's just we are so lucky having Sturt in this country. It's such a good school. It's pretty amazing, so, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and it's produced some incredible people. They have a very, very high rate of ex-students actually doing it, which I think is so encouraging, isn't it? Why is that? There's. You know, you've been involved in the Launceston experience and dwelling up as well. Yep. These I, places, carry on. Yeah, I'm just going, Sturt is kind of the only place left for woodcraft. It is. I mean, and, and, and an interesting reality about Sturt is that it, it was the first, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm correct in saying that it was even, start, it, it was even going um, with Alan Whale at a time when, when, when the Canberra School of Art, Wood, Wood School, hadn't yet quite started with, with mm -hmm. George Ingham. Yep. And it's still going, you know, and, yep. and all of the other schools have fallen by the wayside, unfortunately. I, I think that, that Sturt's success is the fact that it's a one-year course, mm. not a two-year course. I think a two-year course, people... I, I, I've, my, my understanding is that students tend to pace themselves. If they know that they've got two years to complete a diploma course, they pace themselves. Um, whereas if, you've, if you know that you've only got 10 months or, yeah. or, or a year, you yeah. pace yourself differently. So, so, so what Pam and I have consistently found um, comparing the schools is that students produce the same body of work in the nine or 10 months as they would in a two-year period. Same, same volume of work and, mm. and the same, the same kind of standard of their work is very much the same as the students that that have spent two years doing it. Mm. So, so that is that, that that I just find a very very interesting observation. And we, mm. by the way, we found exactly the same thing by comparing the school that I teach at in America, the the yeah. Center for Craftsmanship. Yeah. Yeah. That that is nine month period, a nine month a course, as you as you know. And those students produce incredible work in, a, in, in nine months. Mm. So, um, yeah. Mind you, um, both Sturt and the Centre for Furniture Craftsmanship have amazing teachers to help the students along the way. They do. They, and they've they, been, they, yeah, they've been doing it a long time and they've been, they're set up really, really well. They've got their philosophy down. They know exactly what they're going to achieve and they get out there and achieve it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at, um, at both of these schools, we're, we're talking about Sturt here in Australia and the Centre for French and Craftsmanship in the States. You have uh, people who run those shows, and I'm talking, and, and we know who they are, you know, Peter Korn and, mm -hmm. and um, Mark Viner, who are excellent managers, in my, my opinion. They really mm -hmm. are excellent 
teachers and what they tend to allow is is for, for the teachers, the instructors who teach at, at those places to do their thing, which is teaching fine furniture making yeah. skills. They don't have to worry. They, they're completely unencumbered by by the worries of, of running the show or marking papers and all of this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think it gets in the way of, of, of good, good teaching. And having fun too while you're doing it as well. Like you can absolutely get in there. Hmm. So true. Yeah. So um, true. One of the other things I'd really like to talk to you about is your upbringing in South Africa. Are you okay about talking about that? Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was so just, what I, yeah. Carry on, carry on. Well, I was just going to, I was talking to Will Matheson a few days ago. He was very Mm -hmm. interested in hearing your take on the South African experience. Okay, okay, look, uh, that is is quite interesting. I mean, I've I've actually just jotted down a few notes here in that regard. Bloody good. Yep, because I feel that sometimes I have to. So, um, you know, it's just easy to, to sort of gather my thoughts. Yep. So, um, so, so you've asked the question about South African or ex-South African woodworkers here in Australia, mm. and my, my my take on that is that on the surface of it, I would say that South Africans, if if you dig deep, we are by and large, I, I guess, people of, of of the world, if you like. We we we. I I certainly have never really regarded myself as South African. I mean, right mm. now, I think I regard myself as Australian far more than I regard myself as anything else. Yeah. So look, I, I I grew up in South Africa in various places. I might add, you know, we moved around the country uh, from from Zululand, which is up near um, near Durban, all the way to out of Port Elizabeth to, to Cape Town. I was born in, in Cape Town, a very near Cape Town. Yeah. We we grew up in a kind of a bubble. I mean, unfortunately, South white South African children were brought, brought up in a bubble. They weren't aware of the, um, the, the, the t- desperate uh, situation amongst the, the indigenous people, the black people. And we really only became aware of that, if at all, until our, our later years. And, and I, thankfully, in, in a way, was, was brought up, or um, well, I spent a lot of time on a farm um, in Stellenbosch, which is the centre of the wine-growing area in, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And on that farm, obviously, there were, there were black farm workers who lived in the depths of squalor? It, it, it was a, it was really quite a horrible thing. So at at the age of of I would imagine eleven or twelve, I, I became aware of of the very very unjust situation over there, and I grew up with that. You know, I went went through high school, finished my trick year twelve, and uh, soon after that went into the army, compulsory military service, obviously. Mm. And this awful sense that we were the privileged class, it, it, it really didn't sit comfortably with me, in spite of the fact that I benefited from it. You know, we as white people benefited from that mm. whole situation. What about your parents? And, Can you just touch base on how they felt about it all? You know, interestingly enough, that, that's, that, that's an interesting question. My parents were obviously very aware of it. Again, like most South African white, white people, they just were quite happy to turn a blind eye to it. Their lives were good. They, they, they lived pretty well, in spite of the fact that I think that I would regard ourselves, my family, as what, what we, we call poor whites. We, we weren't a particularly wealthy family. Um, but in spite of that, we, we lived so much better than, than the black people did over there. Mm. So, 
so they they there was a, there was a kind of ambivalence about their lives in South Africa. But I do I, I will say this much: I, I remember my father. Uh, you know, in, in fact, this was this was when I was still a child, uh, growing up in in uh, near near Durban. Apparently, he and my mum were were in, interested in emigrating to America at the time. Of course, that never happened. This, this was around about the Sharpeville massacre, which right. you may have heard about. No, you know, it's 19, I think it was 1962, so I would have been eight years old at that time. Yeah. Yes, so, so my parents lived with that, that issue all their lives, really. Nothing really changed. They weren't involved well, in that at all? You're not... No. No. <laughs> no. No. no, I mean, would, would, I, would I call my would I would I have called my parents racist? Um, hmm, that's I, I, I guess that's a hard. I, I would I would have to say probably yes. Like all white South Africans are probably racist. A horrible thing to admit, but I, I think that that is absolutely true. Yeah, and so when you're growing up, what, 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 hmm, you you get to the end of your matriculation and. Yep. Obviously, you're looking at the political situation with some sense of full awareness. And yep. how do you, are you are you just disgusted by it? You want to leave the country, or do you want to change it, or you're okay with it? How how are you feeling at that stage? I look at. I, I would I would say that during my later school years, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, I, I realised that I wouldn't be spending the rest of my life there. I, I mm. in fact, I knew that. I absolutely knew that. But you know, I was still young. I certainly didn't have the financial means to leave. I certainly wasn't sort of worldly enough to know where I'd want to go to at that stage. It, I, I guess it happened, it, be, it became abundantly clear to me that I wanted to leave when, soon after my national service, which was in 1973, I matriculated in 72, 73, I went into the army for a year. Um, that was okay. You, you know, it was it was simply just national service. I was sent down to Cape Town to spend um, after my three month basic training. Sent down to Cape Town, where I became a, a, a driver for Top Brass, which is <laughs> very interesting, right. very, very interesting thing to to do. And and so I, I really um, landed with a wonderful position in the army. I was very happy about. And certainly, I, you know, I never had to fire my rifle in, in, in anger at anyone, which is really good. But after that, I, I was called up. We were all called up for regular camps, as we called them, you know, anything between three weeks and three months at a time. Mm. And later on, I was called up to a camp in um, on the border, you know, this, this was active duty. This was, uh, you know, um, walking patrols with with a loaded rifle, live ammunition, and so on. That that wasn't nice. Um, I, I I didn't enjoy that. I realised that that was a war that that was completely unjust. It was a, it was an apartheid era war that that we were fighting against what I regarded then as the legal owners of, of the countries. Um, and, and in this particular case, Southwest Africa or Namibia, we were fighting against the um, SWAPO, Southwest Africans People's Organization, a, a guerrilla a group. I mean, believe it or not, we called them terrorists. I never saw them as that. No. They were, were simply fighting for the land. 
So I realized that this was completely and utterly unsustainable. We, we, we couldn't carry on like that. And I realized that I'd, I'd want out. So, so um, after that camp, and I believe that that was in 76, 77, I then started with my father making making furniture. I met Pam in that same year, 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, was she we, grow, did she grow up in South Africa too? No, she didn't. So, so Pam and her family emigrated to South Africa from England um, mm-hmm. in 75, 74, 75, and I met her there. I met her in South Africa, and, and of course she wasn't, she, she really didn't want to stay there, and she was yeah. ready to, I guess, ready to move back to the UK. But look, you know, once, once we got married, I realized that South Africa certainly wasn't a place I'd want to bring up a child, and it certainly wasn't a place that I would want to be called up into the army again and and Mm. possibly have to fire that rifle of mine in anger. I I, I didn't want that at all. Or be fired at as well. Or be fired at, that's right, absolutely. I mean, that that, that goes without saying that 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 Mm. would be Mr. Wolfwood as well. Yeah, I, 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 I have to say that I can't speak very enthusiastically about um, South Africa, other than for the fact that there are some absolutely marvellous people there of all races, and the countryside is is gobsmackingly beautiful. Yeah. It, is, it is just a stunning country that I I love to go back just to see the country. It it is it is quite stunning, as as Australia yeah. is in a very different sort of a way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Pam's yeah. family obviously have a really interesting story. Actually, to move to South Africa when young South Africans, at least well, apparently, you, want to move out. Yeah, yep, yep. You're, you're quite right. You know, uh, I mean, at the time, and, and we're talking about the mid-70s, uh, and South Africa was still, uh, believe it or not, quite a, quite a, um, a des- destination for people from the UK, from Scotland, yeah. from, um, from all over Europe, really, um, not so much North America, but a destination for people to, to make a buck. And when you think about it, and this is the awful, another awful reality about the place, um, a lot of those people were making a buck on the backs of, of cheap, cheap, labor. cheap black labour. Mm. So yeah. not, another awful reality. Yeah. Yes. But Pam, really, I mean, we, we you know, we, we, we enjoyed the, the three or four years that we spent there together, obviously, and, um, and we wanted to get out. I mean, we thought about the UK, but Australia was really on, on right there. We, we, we felt that we wanted to move to Australia. Yeah. I mean, the climate's a little bit better than the UK. Absolutely. There's, so there's that. How, and, and yeah, how difficult was it for you to come here? Um, you know, um, Adrian, very easy. In, yeah. in a, 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 the simple answer was very easy. We, I'll, I'll give you a little history on that if you like. Mm. We, we were, we, we had a little shop, and the family, my father, uh, father's business, had a little shop in the town of Stellenbosch, and Pam used to man that shop, um, and so did my mum. They, 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 they looked after it. And Pam was there one day with, um, you know. Um, taking people and, and, and showing them around the shop and so on. And one particular woman walked in, and she happened to be Australian, and she had a look at a, a, a sideboard that, that I had made, and she asked Pam who had made this. And mm. Pam said, well, my husband, Neil, he, he made it. And her immediate re- reply was, 
well, he really belongs in Australia. <laughs> and believe it or not, that's how it all started. So we, we so Pam came home that night and she, she, she told me the story. And we then agreed to meet up with her. Um, she, she, was in, 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 she was staying in Cape Town and we, we did. We met up with her. And that really was the, was the little seed that was planted. And soon after that, we went to the Australian consulate in Cape Town and put in an application. And I think from memory, it took no longer than about 18 months all in all to get granted um, uh, permission to come here. Mm. The very best decision of my life. Yeah, right. And you would have come <laughs> on a plane. It wouldn't have been, it would have been after ships and things like that, yes? No, 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 no. no we flew, we flew by plane. Yeah. Flew by African Airways, um, because they were the only carrier actually between Australia and South Africa at the time. Mm. So we, we flew all the way into, into Sydney, and interestingly enough, we stayed at a place, you might have heard of it, a place in Pitt Street called People's Palace. It was the pits. <laughs> it was just awful. And I remember that night. Dripping that with night, irony. Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely ironical. So that, that night, I remember I... I bawled my eyes out. I thought, mm. what on earth have I done? What, yeah. what, what have we done? You know, so we had, you know, little Leanne, our, our three-year-old daughter. Yeah, yeah. Said, of course you've got little ones. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I just thought, what, what, what on earth have I done? I mean, it, 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 it was quite a depressing place to, to, to stay in. And I think, I think it was just that, you know, it, it, it was such an kind of an anticlimax in a way that, that, that we, we were shocked, both, both Pam and I were. Yeah. And, but the following day, beautiful, Austro beautiful Sydney day, the following day, this is in, in mid-August, um, 15th mm. of August, 1981, and we strolled around. We had a, a friend of a friend who we contacted in, in um, Manly, and we went over, over there for for lunch, I believe it was. Came back, and the rest is history. I mean, we've we've you know we've we've, we've loved Australia ever since. <laughs> yeah, it was just that one day that that um, was just forgettable. Well, you know, I don't know how long it'd take you to get here. Probably twenty four hours or something on a plane with little kids, and it would be pretty hardcore. Yeah. It, it, it was difficult. <laughs> yeah. Can we just turn the clock back just a little bit? You've, you've yep. obviously done an apprenticeship with your father, have you? Or Yeah, look, it, it certainly wasn't an, an official apprenticeship. I started out after coming out of the Army in 1973. I started out doing a wine-making apprenticeship. So I went into, you know, the Stonebosch, the place that we lived in was the centre, or still is, in fact, the centre of the wine-growing area in, in South Africa, a little bit like the Barossa Valley um, in South Australia. Yeah. And so I, I, I've got this job as a, as a trainee winemaker. And really, you know, I was young, I was impressionable. I, I drank beer, not wine. I rode <laughs> motorcycles, you know, and, and I wasn't, you know, Adrian, I, I wasn't dedicated. It, it, I was 19 years old. Uh. It, it, it really wasn't for me. And then, and, but, but, it, but it lasted. I became a half-decent winemaker after, after three years. And, and then I was called up into the army. This was a border camp that I, I, I touched yeah. on earlier. Yeah. And, and, and in South Africa at the time, if you were called up into the army, your employer had to pay you your full wage while you were away. 
Is that right? Yeah, mm. pretty, pretty hard thing to do. So I, I really felt that, number one, I wasn't a very good employee. I really didn't pull my weight. I felt that this was completely unfair. So I went to my boss and I said, look, I, I think I should leave. I don't think that you should pay me any money. And while I'm away, I'll, I'll find my own way. And, and, that, and that was perfectly agreed to. And then when I came out, I kind of volunteered myself into my father's services, <laughs> something that, he, to be honest with you, he wasn't particularly happy with. Um, oh, okay. He really, you know, it, 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 it wasn't his decision. He just sort of felt that he had to take me on. Here I was uh, without a job and needing kind of gainful employment. And, of course, I wanted to learn woodwork. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty much how it started with so my father. So he's a joiner, I take it, furniture maker, joiner? Interestingly enough, no. Um, he, he was an engineer. Uh-huh. And we, he worked as an engineer for, for I, I believe it was up until about the age of 40, 48, 49, 50, thereabouts. And, but he, he, he always, he always um, knew how to make furniture and knew how to make it pretty well, in fact. Yeah. Having been taught by his father and, and thus the, 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 the third generation thing, I'm, yeah. you know, I regard myself as a third generation maker yeah. so my father was taught by his dad but his his primary profession actually was an engineer a mechanical engineer yeah and and he did that as i say up until the age of um, i think it was 48 49 or 50 or thereabouts so and, and then he got into his his furniture making which he absolutely loved and hence the shop that you're running <laughs> And, and hence the workshop and the yeah. shop that he, that he sold his stuff through. And, of yeah. course, we sold through galleries as well. There were galleries around the place. But the nature of the work that we did was very traditional. It was what we called Cape Dutch furniture, which was um, an amalgamation of uh, a sort of a Cape town or a Cape-influenced, a, a, a Cape interpretation of a, of a Dutch-influenced style. Mm. So that is what we and 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 a, in a combination of, of of very dark and very light woods, um, in, and and in in that particular instance, it was it was stinkwood and yellow wood. So stinkwood <laughs> being, yeah, I know, and, and it was it was a smelly wood to cut, to be honest with you, but but yeah. an insanely beautiful wood, yeah, very right. dark, very dark in colour, sort of a, a brown smoky tones, very similar to walnut. But a lot harder than, than walnut. Yeah, what's another name for stinkwood? Imbuya? No, not at all. No, that's an interesting thing. Imbuya or imboya, as we as we imboya. would call it. Um, imboya. Yep. Uh, I m b u i a. I believe it, it is spelled. That that's a Brazilian wood. Oh, okay. And, yep. Yep. And that was brought into South Africa in large quantities, actually, as a substitute for for the much rarer. Um, much more expensive stinkwood, and and that's really why why imboya was used a lot, and and I used you know my, my dad and I used imboya as well as stinkwood, yeah. um, and and I might add imboya is a, another just a ridiculously beautiful wood. Yeah. It really really was, and of course the other wood that we used was yellow wood, which um, my, the, you know the very best way I can describe it is. Is it is akin to to human pine in terms of that buttery, that beautiful buttery yeah. colour, yeah. and and fairly soft as well. Do you know what they need over in South Africa? Back in the day when they were coming up with these yeah. names, is a really good yeah. marketing executive to get rid of 
boring names like Stinkwood and Yellowwood. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. Come on. That's just hopeless. Exactly. How, how incredibly unimaginative. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and look, we do the same thing here in Australia, don't we? You know, Blackwood, Acacia Mellon, Oxlum. Mm. Um, and by the way, we use a lot of Blackwood in South Africa as well. South Africa right? grown Acacia Mellon, Oxlum. But yeah, uh, uh, um, it seems that when, when furniture makers have chosen names for woods, they, they, there's been very little imagination, really. It's pretty pathetic. Yeah, I mean, in, 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 in some respects, we here in Western Australia, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say, have chosen Aboriginal names like Jarrah mm. and Carrie. And, and, and Carrie, exactly, the Aboriginal names, which is nice. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Raspberry Jam, that's not Aboriginal. No, <laughs> now that is just... Oh. <laughs> but it smells like raspberry jam, so that's all right. It's not stinkwood. Exactly. It smells like raspberry jam, not, not stinkwood. And yeah. my God, it smells beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah. But, but you don't want to inhale the dust. No, okay. Um, yeah, so you've, you've got your skills and you come to Sydney. You go to Canberra, I think? We did. So, so, so prior to actually leaving South Africa, I... Um, I contact. We, we actually got all the newspapers from from South, from the from the consulate in Cape Town. Yeah. We would go down there, you know, every month or so, and just pick up a whole pile of newspapers. You know, the Courier Mail from Brisbane and the Sydney Morning Herald from Sydney, and the Canberra Times from Canberra, and and the Advertiser from Adelaide, I think it was at the mm. time, and so on. So we got all these, and 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 we got all these newspapers from the various cities in Australia on purpose, because we felt that that would give us an idea of the cities that they. Um, they came from and we really got the sense that Canberra was you know a a city of 220 or there or or a thousand people or or thereabouts and we got a sense that it would be a good place to make bespoke furniture you know it was Mm. capital city of Australia the embassies there it would have a very well-heeled population Mm. um, with hopefully good taste and so on and you know we 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 knew this. So, so essentially, I applied for a job at a at a place in 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 Queenbeyan, which is just outside of Canberra, in New South Wales, mm. uh, a place called Wooden Things. And I thought, and 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 they made you know they made bespoke furniture, and they also made wooden toys, and thus the name Wooden Things. And uh, and it, it 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 was the only uh, business that advertised in the in the Canberra Times at the time. So I thought, well, nothing to lose. I'd write to them to see what the lay of the land was like. Uh-huh. And, and I received a, a, a fairly quick reply, a very prompt reply from from its owner, Peter Inglis, um, to say that if I wanted a job, I've got it. <laughs> Pretty cool. So that was that was really cool. So we arrived mm. in Sydney, and and you know, I sort of uh, I hadn't fully accepted the job with Pete at that point. And I sort of toyed with the idea that we could stay in Sydney while while we were at the People's Palace. So I had a look at I jobs. Love the name the People's time. Palace. It's just brilliant. Yeah, look, <laughs> People's bloody palace. Oh, goodness, what a, what a dive. I don't know whether it's leagues in existence. I really don't know. I would hope not. But anyway, we, we were in Sydney and we sort of went through the, 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 paper, the, the Saturday paper of the day. We arrived, I think, on... Saturday, so we, we got the paper, had to look through it, and I, I just, I, I got scared, you know, with the size of the city. It was certainly a lot bigger than Cape Town, or what mm-hmm. I remember. Um, 
And I thought, I think I'd like the cosiness of a smaller city. And the following day, I believe, we got into a, onto a bus and uh, we chuffed off to Canberra. And that's where we stayed. So I, I, did, I did accept the job at Wooden Things and, and loved it, to be honest. It was, it was really a, a wonderful experience, doing quite different work, um, so much more contemporary than, than some of the contemporary pieces that I, I was making in, in, in South Africa at the time. So it was, it was an eye-opener. It really was. And how's Pan taking this? She's just having fun, going along with the stride. Pam was absolute. Pam is the most adaptable individual I have ever had the, 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 the pleasure of meeting. <laughs> but she, she, she really is. You know, she, she's, she's. I, look, I, you, you'll, you'll come across this as, as we go on. <laughs> you know, in, in this interview, but she's, she's my rock. She really yeah, is. She's, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. like, it sounds like you're making decisions. I will go to Canberra. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, well, in, look, when I say no, um, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about this. They, they were mutual decisions. They were yeah. decisions. Pam always knew that I was, at the time, the, the major breadwinner, and I was going to be for a while. Pam always vowed, always vowed, that she was going to be there for our children. Yeah. Um, she wasn't going to work. She was always going to be there for the children. Obviously, if they were at school with both of our children, we've got two girls now. They were both at school. She would help me out as best she could. But when they come home from school, she would yeah. be there. So Pam, Pam accepted the fact that I was always going to be the, the major breadwinner. And, and, and as such, she kind of went along with, with my work quite happily and, 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 and incredibly supportive all the way along. It's um, such a gift. Yep. It, 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 look, it is. I mean, having a partner like Pam has, and, and I acknowledge it, I've always acknowledged it. You know, mm. I've never ever um, taken advantage of that fact. I've always, always uh, felt uh, blessed, <laughs> you know, to, mm. to have her there all the time. And of course, as you, as you probably know, she's, she's helped me in the workshop, um, mm. certainly in, in recent years, and I'm, and I'm talking now the past 20, 25 years, she's helped me enormously in the workshop, mm. both both from a making point of view and from a design point of view. Mm. So she's she's been she's been a massive help. And and look, I um, and I don't say this in any kind of a soppy sort of a way. I, I really mean it sincerely. I, I I don't think I could have done this whole project, this whole life project, without her. Yeah. To be honest. Well, bloody good on you, Pam. Yeah, thank you. I'll pass that on to her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. look, she's got a story as well. She and, does. Um, the, the story I'd like to hear. And obviously in business too, like business is always a big part of running a craft. It is. Yep. I mean, um, and you want, you want me to elaborate on that? Uh, you can if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, as far as as we're concerned, business. I mean, I'll I'll, um, I'll start if you like, as to how I I started out. Yeah. So that was in Canberra again. You know, I was I was working quite happily at wooden things. We 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 had two or three. Um, I had two or three fellow makers working with me um, in the workshop, and. Peter ended up selling that business to, to a public servant, a, a Canberra public servant, who had considerable money. He had considerable means to, to, to buy the business, but not necessarily the, the gift of 
being able to run a business or mm. or the knowledge of furniture making. So that was mm. an unfortunate thing. So 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 Harry then ran the business after that and it faltered a little. And in the end, one of my fellow employees, Des, and I bought the machinery from him. We didn't buy the business. We simply mm-hmm. bought the machinery, changed the name, and, and continued running the business. And we, we, we took on a bit of work from, from Harry, which was, you know, we, we were eternally grateful to him for that. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a completely happy and mutually beneficial arrangement and so on. Mm-hmm. So, so that worked quite well for us. And then... And, and then Des and I, this is my, my partner and my business partner at the time, we, we struck a very, very good and happy agreement where, whereby he would get whatever work he could get to uh, generate money, to g- generate cash flow, if you like, for the business. Mm. And, and, but at the same time, we both acknowledge the fact that we also have to build a profile into the business. Um, and of course, that cheaper, less expensive run-of-the-mill furniture wasn't really going to do the sort of thing that we wanted it to do mm. in terms of building profile. So it was agreed that I would, while he did that sort of stuff, I would seek uh, commissions and and uh, get high-end uh, work coming to business. And I would do that to to build profile. Mm. And and as it turns out, someone whom I had spoken to in the months before we set up a business, Betty and Ron Beaver, you might mm. might have heard of Beaver Galleries. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So mm. Betty, Betty and I had had long conversations in, in the months before Desna, and she happened to call me actually um, uh, almost the week that Desna started up, mm. and she wanted to further that conversation. So I drove up there up to Red Hill, where she had that, that was her first gallery in Red Hill, Canberra. Went up there, and we had a long conversation about a number of things. She had at that time actually, as as we spoke. She had a number of individuals, Canberra individuals, who wanted um, bespoke pieces made. Um, she also had some um, some kind of commissions that 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 could very quickly become or turn into reality from the Defence Forces Academy mm. and and others, you know. And within a very short space of time, all of that turned into very very high end commissions. And that relationship lasted until I decided that I had a, had enough of Canberra in 1985. <laughs> what was it about Canberra you'd had enough of? <laughs> uh, look, again, it's a long story. <laughs> Everything is a long story, really, when you think about it, isn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, when you make a big decision in your life... It's complex. Yeah. It's, it's complex, and, and there's a lot that precipitates that, obviously, That's as it. you understand. Yeah. So Canberra was a, you know... Um, Again, as I say, it's a long story. We, we, we arrived in August 1981. There was a terrible drought there at the time. And you know, you'd drive past parched fields yeah. with dead sheep in them, bloated in the, bloating in the sun and so on. And it was such a stark contrast from what we were used to in this beautiful, verdant, these green fields and hills and mountains from South Africa that we loved so much. Um, that, that, that was a difficult pill to swallow, and yet there was nothing that we could do about it or nature could do about it, just something that we accepted, obviously. Yeah. But what really made us decide that we wanted to leave was the fact that I got the sense that a lot of the money in Canberra was not real money, 
a very strange sense. It, 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 you know, and, and I find I often find it very hard to articulate exactly what what my thinking was. But the vast majority of people in Canberra were public servants. A lot of them had a lot of money. Um, a lot of them were quite discerning individuals, and when they ordered furniture, they certainly knew what they wanted, mm. uh, which was just just absolutely lovely. But I just felt that there was a kind of a falseness about it all. Mm. And, and what really did it for me, um, in a negative kind of a way, was one day we, were, we, we, we got this commission, and, and one that we generated personally, I might add, but didn't go through Beaver Galleries. It was one that we had, had, had generated. And it was for one of the departments. I, I can't name the department because I can't remember. It was DFAT. Come on. <laughs> Good one, Adrian. <laughs> and it, and Maybe it ASIO? Could be it ASIO. It certainly wasn't ASIO and, and it, wasn't the, it wasn't ATO. Uh, it, it, it was one of the others. But, but we, were, we were commissioned to make a laboratory bench. A, 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 and a very, very flash laboratory bench out of out of Queensland black bean. Yeah, right. And, and solid, all solid. I went over to CAA Timbers in, in Queenbin. You might remember the place. Mm. And we, we bought, you know, what turned out to be, I don't know, $1,500 worth of, of black bean. A lot of money in 1984. Mm. Mm. And I, I made these laboratory benches. And when it came time to deliver... I contacted the the head of the department, and I said, you know, uh, can you please give us the exact address to deliver this to? And 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 he gave it to me, and it was a residential address. It was his home. Oh and my thought, God, no! Oh, this I, I don't want. To, I don't want to know this. This is just not yeah. right. Thanks for paying for this laboratory. Bench, yeah, and it's which, ex- which mm. was which was a, a, a darn nice dining table, I might add. Anyway, mm. that, 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 that really was the, 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 the icing on the cake for me. It, um, not, not a very pleasant tasting icing, but nevertheless, that was the icing. And, and we felt, I, you know, a funny, a funny thought came over, over me, as it did Pam. We just felt we really wanted to try and get as far away from this place as we possibly could. <laughs> and, um, it's a little bit rarefied in Canberra, isn't it? It is, it is. beautiful. But, there's lots of money, but it's strange. It is. Look, you know, and, but having said that, and, and, I've, and I've, I've laid uh, my bones bare in terms of, of, of that little history, but having said that, looking at Canberra now, I think that I would have continued to do really well there. Oh, you would have. Yeah. I, I absolutely would have. And, yeah. and uh, do I regret having come to Perth? Of course I don't. I, I'm here now, and, 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 and I love it here. But I think perhaps we were a little too eager to leave, to be honest with you. But anyway, we, you know... Maybe that, a bit that, idealistic, do you think? Yeah, oh, certainly, absolutely. You I, and, should have dobbed the dude in. I should have done that, but I was, I, I, I didn't. And if, if that happened now, certainly I would. That, that was just it wrong. wouldn't happen now. I just can't imagine it. I don't think it would. Adrian, no, I, I, I really I, don't. I think... I think that kind of corruption has been weeded out now. Oh, there's no space for any of that sort of rubbish anymore. No, no, exactly. And look, look, look I, I might add, you know, I guess what really kind of pissed me off is is the fact that I just knew that a lot of that those kind of shenanigans happened in, in the South Africa that I left. And uh-huh. here I was, 
in my new adopted country, and I saw this, and it, it, it was a it was a very bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine. Yeah. So you it, go to Perth. Why Perth? Um, because it was as far away from Canada as we could find. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's fair enough. We we came to Perth kind of on a whim, really. Again, I'll tell you what, two things, two things. I I had worked in Jarrah and I had worked in in West Australian Sheoak, Cashier, not uh, Cashier, I forget the botanical name, but anyway, in in West Australian Sheoak, which I, I quite loved at the time. And that was one of the things I thought it'd be nice to be closer to the wood that I love. I, I, I actually quite dislike Jarrett now and she uh, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they, they, they certainly yeah, I've had too much of it, I think. Yeah. So there was that. And, and another very interesting thing is that my mum, and my mum's history is, in, is, a, is a, a very interesting one. Her, her mother died when she was a, a young girl. Her father was, was um, caught up in the war. Um, in the Second World War, he was in Shangi prison. He's a prisoner of war in Shangi uh, uh, prison during the war. And my mum was brought up by, well, uh, she, she went to school here in Perth. She went to Perth College here in Perth as a young, as a gotcha. very young, very young child. Yeah, Just right. a horrible situation for her. But yeah. she loved Perth. She absolutely loved the city. Mm. And, and and interestingly enough, she would, um, you know, every month or so, they'd go for the children would go for a holiday up into the hills where we now live. Yeah, right. So yeah, so there was there was that little bit of interesting history, you know, in the family about Perth. That's good enough reason to go, I think. Hey, because like, you've got a story there already from your yep. mum. Mm. Yep, absolutely. That's right. Yep. And so you rock up in Perth. Um, did you have work to start with or a place to stay? No. Or? No. We, um, um, I mean, the, the very short answer is no. Just as we knew nobody in, in Canberra when we arrived, but thankfully I had a job to go to. Yeah. Whereas when I came to Perth, we, we didn't know anybody. We didn't have a job to go to. We, had, we, we, were, we were cashed up with a little bit of money, not a lot. Um, and interestingly enough, I actually came over with a friend, a very good friend, also South African, and that was by chance more than by design. Um, we came over, Pam and I and Dave, Dave Street came over with enough money to buy machinery. Mm. And, and we, we got a, a place up in the hills, up in Wollaston in, in Perth. And set it up and scratched around for work. And that, that was an interesting process. It really was. You know, we, we took on absolutely everything and anything yeah. we could find. And whether that be kitchen cabinets, which I abhor making, but mm. nevertheless, we did, we did a bit of that. And mm. <laughs> interestingly enough, quite, quite profitable work. Yeah. So we did that. And bedside cupboards out of pine or jarra or whatever we we, we 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 made everything and not long after that so so that that was in august 85 i would imagine i think it was 1986 that we decided that we really had had enough of that sort of thing and we um, unless we start practicing and doing the sort of stuff that we want to be known for fine furniture fine yeah, we never get asked for it mm. we, exactly we never get asked for it we, we mm. had better make a start mm. so so interestingly enough, we went we went to the bank, we went we spoke to the bank manager in those wonderful days when there was a bank manager you could that you could speak to. 
<laughs> so we had a, had, a, had a chat to, to this guy um, about getting a loan to spend four or five months not doing any work for money, but to build up a, a body of work, a body of contemporary work. That's pretty courageous. Yeah, it, it, look, it, courageous on, part, on the part of the bank and us looking back on it, it really was. Mm. I mean, you know, we, we, we put a lot on the line, as did the bank for that matter. Mm. So, so it, it, but it worked. Thankfully, it worked. So we took that body of work and, and we took it to the Perth Furniture Fair, which was the Perth-based sort of furniture expo at the, at the showgrounds here in Perth. That was an absolute revelation to us. It really was. That, that was incredible. We, we, we picked up a year's worth of, of work from a, a, a pretty well-heeled group of, of individuals. So that, that set us on the path. Was there a competition out there doing that sort of work? Were you the new kid there on was, the block? There, there certainly was competition here in Perth, and, and perhaps this is something that a lot of Australians on the eastern seaboard don't realise, but there was, mm. a, there was a, a mob here in Perth called Cat Furniture, C-A-T-T, who made... In, in, in my opinion, and, and in the day, and we're talking about 1985, that goes back a long time, they were making quite extraordinary solid jarra um, and, and white oak uh, contemporary furniture. Mm. So they, they, were, they, they, they were a force to be reckoned with. And actually, it's quite interesting that you ask that question, because I remember that, that Roy Catt, uh, the, the, the owner of the business, the, the, the director of the business, came over to our stand and con- congratulated Dave and I for the work that we'd put up there. Because yeah. our, stuff was, our stuff was, you know, certainly not as, it certainly wasn't mass produced as his was. His was a very high standard, but, but produced en masse. And, mm. and he, he really gave us some, some incredible encouragement and praise. So it, it was wonderful to hear that. Look, really uh, good on you, Mr. Cat. Yeah. That's the way. Yep. Yep, so that, that pretty much put us on the map. And then and, and Dave, Dave Street and I carried that, you know, carried on with that, that work for, I can't remember exactly when, but Dave then decided that he would want to leave the business and set up on his own, as people uh-huh. do. You know, we've all, I think we've all done that at some point in time. So Dave left and he set up Ironwood Studios, There's a, a, also here in Perth. And his furniture has done incredibly well at Bungador Woodworks. Yeah. And still does, I might add. So, yeah, so I taught Dave. I, not only did we set up a business together, but, but in the process I taught him. And, and I have to say I've been, I've been blessed with people that have worked either for me or with me who have been incredibly intelligent, gifted people to start off with. So they've been so damn easy to teach. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they really have been, and Dave was certainly no exception. He's 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 a remarkable maker and a really good designer as well. Yeah, I think if you're if you've got integrity and you've got passion and you've got your heart in the right place, you tend to attract people with the same sort of outlook. I think that's true. I I, I would concur. Do you, have you employed people on a regular basis? Is that something that's been a part of your practice or is it? Um, yes, it has. Again, the short answer is is I have employed people, but it's been an on and off sort of thing. So yeah. so I, I have one particular guy, one particular chap that I, I know very, very well, Tim, and we've employed him on and off 
probably, and, and I'm trying very hard not to exaggerate, probably five or six times. So he'd come, he'd work for two or three years, then he'd go away and yep. do his own thing, come back and work for two or three years and go away again. An incredibly gifted man, a ridiculously a gifted guy. Yeah. From, from a making point of view, jig-making, just absolutely insane jig-maker. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've employed Tim, and I've employed from time to time ex-students of mine from the various schools that I've taught at. Yep. And the, 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 the most gifted of all, I mean, I've, I've, I've raved on about Tim and, and I've raved on about Dave, but the most gifted of all in a kind of creative sort of way was a chap by the name of Lewis. And, and he was a student at Dwelling Up. I, I ran the school there for, for a couple of years. With, with Pam, of course, yeah. and uh, and he was he was just magic. He really and, and is. In fact, yeah, what's Lewis doing now? Unfortunately, Lewis left me after I think it was four four or five years, and there was a lull in my business. And, and incredibly, after after having an order book that stretched for two years, sometimes even more, that kind of petered out for for a brief period of time. And I said to Lewis, look, I, I'm gonna, you're going to have to go. I, I just don't have to work anymore. And in a way, it was a good thing because he was also thinking of looking at, at other things in, mm-hmm. in his life. Yeah. So, so he left. He went to Melbourne, worked over there with some other very well-known designer makers, um, and then set up his own business in Melbourne making guitars again and making very, very, very <laughs> interesting guitars. Yeah, and what's his surname? <laughs> His name is Waters. So, yes, so, yes. do you know him? No, I don't. But I'm going to check well, him out. <laughs> you must, you must check him out. His name is Lewis Waters, yeah. and he worked for he worked for for Damien Wright. You've yep. heard of Damien? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. Look, uh, Lewis Waters is just one of those magic, absolutely magic people. I, yeah. I love the guy to bits. He's is is just. I'd love to have him back, but of course that's not going to be happening. Not, well, not this you know what? Maybe you can go for a holiday in Melbourne when they've um, completely opened up, and he can show you a bit of guitar making activity. Well, that's the other thing. He's back in Perth now. Oh, is he? You don't have and to go anywhere. Is, so, so, so he's. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. A lot of Perth young people will go to Melbourne yeah. um, and sometimes Sydney as well, but it's mainly Melbourne. You know, they, they, they want a bit of Melbourne culture, and I can completely understand that. Yeah. And I think he got his fill and decided he wanted to come back home, and that's what he's done. Yeah, bring <laughs> the family back. Yeah. Place well, to bring up kids, you know. Like, it's yeah. the same with Adelaide as well. You know, yeah. Melbourne, where I grew up, was cold and damp and huge and ugly. Yeah. That's what I thought. It's not now. I love yeah, look, I love Melbourne. I think it's, totally. a, I think it's just a great city. I love it. I Absolutely. Love it. But I didn't think that when I was growing up. Right. <laughs> I suppose one would never think that. It's just too close to home, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah. But, uh, but people do – I'm in Adelaide now, as you know. People come back to Adelaide. They go yep. away and they come back because it's an awesome place to bring up a family. Exactly. The same as Perth. It's a, it, Perth is just a wonderful city to bring up family. Mm. You know, it has more sunshine per day than I think just about any city on the planet. It, it, <laughs> it does. And, you know, it, well, it, Don't you it, miss the rain, though? You've got to have a bit of a balance. <laughs> well, interesting, it's so interesting that you ask that question, Adrian, because have a look at the charts. Perth gets more rain than than... 
I think it certainly gets more rain than Adelaide, gets more rain than Melbourne. It gets yeah, more really. rain than Launceston or Hobart. Is that Perth right? gets a lot of rain. Yeah, and yeah. admittedly, admittedly, not as much now as it was the case 20 or 30 years ago, but mm. that's, that's, that's just what the world is like nowadays, you know, with global warming and so on. Yeah, but we, we get a lot of rain. So our winter rains are, I mean, where, where we were living in, in Pickering Brook, we were getting 900 millimetres of rain a year. Yeah, good God. And yeah, you, you'd, you'd, be hard, you'd be hard to get that anywhere in Adelaide. Well, Adelaide would get about half that. Mm. Yeah, well, there you go. There you yeah. go. Yep. yep. Yeah, over the whole so, year. Not yes. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, we, we get a lot. We get a lot of rain. Yeah, so you're working, making furniture and teaching, and you've also written many, many articles. Uh, sir. Yeah, how's that as an activity? Look, I've, I've been writing for the Wood Review magazine and, and other publications from time to time for a long period of time. I, I, I absolutely love doing that, and I haven't done it for quite a while now. I've, I've sort of stopped doing that for no other reason other than it takes more time than... I've I've easily found in the past, so so yeah. so that is sometimes a problem. It's it's it, it it is not a very lucrative thing to do, and that is not a problem with the magazine or the editors or anything like that, because it's just the way that that's just the the, the nature of the game. You don't where, do it for the money anyway, is it? You can't. You can't. You, no. you, you don't. And and I never have. I, I I have to say I never have. It's it's yeah. it's you know it's pointless to even go there. So I've I've always very very happily written for the Wood Review magazine, the Australian yep. Wood Review magazine, yep. and it's been quite wonderful in being able to kind of gather one's thoughts and put them into baskets and think about those things that one just does kind of spontaneously. Think, think about every little detail and how you have to explain that in the written word and sometimes in the said word when you teach it as well. So I see, I see writing and teaching in a very, very similar sort of a way. Mm. And... It, it, but both those pursuits have been very, very good for me because I've not been. Um, I'm, I guess I'm notorious for the fact that I'm, I'm a bit of a scatterbrain. So, so as as a result of that, it's been good to discipline my my thoughts into into a, a, a kind of an order. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that's what writing has done for me. Yeah. Have you ever thought that you might write a book? Yes. Again, the short answer is yes, emphatic and very emphatic, yes. I want to write a book. But but people, a lot of people ask, well, you know, um, what kind of woodwork are you going to write about? Well, the answer is I'm not going to write about woodwork. You're not. I know. <laughs> I know no. if that was the case. Tell, tell, yeah. tell no, no, the story. No, no, no. I, I, I don't want to write about woodwork per se. I want to write about about and 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 I've got to articulate this as carefully as I possibly can. I'd like to write a kind of a a very dreamy kind of philosophical novel that will include a bit of woodwork, but it won't be a hands-on manual of mm. any sort. It's not going to be that kind of book. I I just want to explore funny little things that that have always kind of drifted around in my head. I'm going to write about them and, again, try and articulate them, try and, try and get an order to them and write about that. It sounds like so, you, you're going to attempt something like poetry. Look, I, I, I didn't want to um, put that word to it, but I suppose that is what it will be. How about if I ever do it? poetic as opposed to poetry? 
more of a meditation, perhaps, or you've 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 taken the words out of the deep part of my consciousness, uh, subconscious, because because it wasn't it, it wasn't coming. That that, that is that, that puts it in a nutshell. Mm. Um, yes, poetry comes to mind. It'll be, it'll. Be, I like to think that I can write a kind of poetic novel. Is not the right word, but a poetic story. Mm. Um, and 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 <clears throat> I have to add that it is not something that I necessarily wish to publish. It's a bit like like the woodwork that I do. I don't necessarily want to sell it. I just want to do the doing of it. Yeah, right. That is so interesting. Yeah, for for me, writing the book is about the doing, not the not not the end result, not 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 the praise that I want to get. No, 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 no. Can we? Can we just talk about that for a minute, just a little bit more detail? Because one of the things you've got here, this is a quote. You found most enjoyment when your work was not a job, profession, or ambition. That's in inverted commas. And it's also in inverted commas, a journey, not a destination. How's that project going for you nowadays after all these years? It's obviously still the way you want to do it. Look, I, 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 that that has been mostly aspirational than than real. Um, I have to say, I mean, yeah, it, okay. it's been real to a large extent. I, I, don't get me wrong; it's not like like I've, I've never experienced that lovely, cosy feeling of of being in the zone in my workshop and making. I have, and I and, and I've enjoyed many. I'd say thousands of hours doing just that, yeah. but but there've always been commercial financial constraints that that have spoiled it for me. So so, you know, <laughs> I, I have to say, and I'm really really looking forward to to revisiting that whole notion mm. of poetic, if you like, woodwork again, yeah. where yeah. I, where I can I can lose myself in in the moment of of making. Um, I, you know, people have often asked me, why, what, what is it about drawers that I so love making? Mm. Um, and my answer is, it is the kind of meditative uh, repetition of cutting dovetails or making cedar of Lebanon draw bases. There's a repetition about drawers. And it, 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 it could even be the veneers that I occasionally will put onto the draw fronts. There's this wonderful repetition. I just I, 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 I get mesmerised by it, and and I just love that space in my workshop in my head. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, great. <laughs> this you know this notion is something that I've talked to quite a number of people about. In fact, I reckon I bring this topic up with everybody I talk to yeah. on this podcast, but also generally too. There's a guy called Mahali, Chicksent Mahali, who um, Peter Korn in his book talks about, but he has this notion that that feeling when you are lost in the moment, he mm-hmm. calls it flow. And I was taken away by that notion decades ago when I first found out about it. I think it's something that we should all aspire to, as you talk about, but actually seek out and really trying to achieve it because it's good for us. I, I, I look at Adrian. I just could not agree more with you. Um, I, I think it's 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 uh, again. I, I think for most of us, it remains an aspirational thing that you work at. So you you, mm. you achieve you achieve um, sometimes glimpses of it. Sometimes you achieve big chunks of it, and 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 it is just so joyous when 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 you do. I I I couldn't agree with you more. It's 
like dovetail cutting, and and I, and I hate to have to uh, keep on referring to dovetails because it's such a mundane thing that we do, and 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 something that we tend to boast about, uh, so, so on. But for me, cutting dovetails is something that should be done to a very high standard, but it should be done quickly and spontaneously. Yeah. Now, when you're in the moment, the moment that we're, we're, we're sort of talking about, that beautiful um, flow, they get cut incredibly quickly. You don't think about them. You don't labor over no. them. They, they simply get done. And that is my interpretation of the word flow. And, and that is the zone that I wish to find myself in a lot more in the future. And it will remain an aspiration. I, I, I don't think, perhaps, uh, let, me, let me finish. I don't think it's something that all of us achieve all of the time. I think that some of the Japanese masters perhaps achieve it most of the time. And, and, and the thing that comes to mind are some of those Japanese calligraphers who, who mm. you know, with brushing and, and, and a pot of paint, they will remain quite still, um, both in their minds and bodily, and then in, in almost in a split second, they'll put a brush stroke on a piece of paper, and it is perfect, and it's done spontaneously mm. in a very calm kind of a way, extremely efficient. Those are the sort of things that I aspire to, and I've mm. done them. I've done them. I've done that sort of thing from time to time, but it's never been something that I can just summon up and and crack at, at the drop of a hat. No. I, I, no, 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 but you, you, you work on it. Do you reckon Pam has a going on for her, do you think? Uh, you know, I'm so pleased you asked that because I was about to mention that, and I'm so pleased you actually initiated that question. Pam does it regularly. Does she? she? She just is in the zone almost all of the time. Wow. She is a calm, a very calm individual yeah. who, who is constantly aware of where she's at, what she's doing, how she's doing it, how to feel about it. All of these emotions are always right up there in, in her consciousness. So she will do things without laboring over it, without her concentrating, tongue hanging out of her mouth, um, <laughs> concentrating on, on, on the cut that, that'll, that'll, that'll do a dovetail. She just gets it's into in the... Room, does it? Yeah. So, yeah. so it is. It is truly, truly an inspiration. Just watching Pam do things. Sometimes yeah. she's just fantastic. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we may never it, it get to read your book, but I certainly hope that you write it. I I would love to. And again, you know, you you asked me earlier on how I would like to spend my day, and mm. I. I'd love to, it's not happening yet, but I, I, I hope to do that in the not too distant future where I spend an hour, hour and a half a day doing six or seven different things. Yeah. But I want, to fill, I want to fill up my day with meaningful, pleasant, soul-feeding uh, activities. And, you know, to me, those, those, those are the things that are so important for me right now. Yeah, I'm going to say important for a lot of people at every time in their lives, but for lots of us, we still have to pay the mortgage and we've still got to yep. pay off the car and the kids have got to get to school and there's other imperatives. So um, There are, there are. And, and, and yet, you know, some, some individuals have managed to do that, um, not necessarily through luck. They've just managed to do it. And I just, you mm. know, I just... 
my hat off to those people for being able to do it. I really do. Mm. You know, without the without the excuse me, without the financial means or or anything, they're, they're busy bringing up a family. They've got they've got bills to pay. They've got a workshop to run, um, and they seem to do it. I don't know how they do it, but they do. Um, <laughs> you have seemed to do it. I seem to do it. Plenty of people seem to do it. We just get in yeah. there and do it. It's not like we can. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I guess we have. You know, you know and, look, the, I guess we have. Yeah, yeah. Look, the, you you do what you need, like, uh, and you live the best life you can. That's what we do. Yep, yep. Yeah. And like and like you say, you do what you, you you do what you have to do. You do what you need to do. And and um, you know, it's like it's like running a business, I suppose, or setting out into a business. And and you know, we hear of these many hundreds of businesses that uh, small businesses that fail within the first year, and um, mm. and. You know, I haven't heard of many furniture-making, designing-making businesses failing within their first year. And I, I think that what drives us, um, number one, is obviously the passion. Very cliched word, but nevertheless, the, the passion does drive us. And the fact that that um, I think by, by the nature of what it is that we do, we are quite fit. So we put in physically whatever time we have to put in yeah. in order to make sure that the bills get paid. So we, we're yeah. not likely to... Go under very easily. I think, Neil, that you only do it if it's what you really, really, really want to do. And to some extent, you can't really do anything else. You're no. just going to do it anyway. And <laughs> I do know of quite a number of people that have had a go and haven't been able to make it work. And it's not through any fault of their own. But when I started out doing it, there was nothing else I could do. It's not yep. that there wasn't anything else I could do, but there was nothing else I wanted to do, and yep. it was it was going to happen. <laughs> I, 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 exactly, it just had to happen. It was it just had yep. to. That was all there was. So yeah, yeah, it has to happen because because you so want to do this thing. It, you know that 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 nothing else matters. You mm. um, and and of course that drives you. And and look, mm, I'm sure that you with many others, it drives you to occasionally have to work 16 or 17 hour days for a week. And that has certainly happened with, with me in, you know, mm. on, and if that is what you have to do, that is what you have to do. Yeah, you get in there and do it. That's right. Yeah. Look, I've, yeah. I've, I've absolutely, I've absolutely loved what I've done. I have to say, I mean, I've done it for what, what is it now? 43 years or so. And I just love the fact that the pace sometimes changes. Sometimes you have to work those 16, 17 hour days. Mm. Um, and then the other, other times happen when, when you think, my God, you know, I've got, I've, I'm, I'm cashed up right now. And, <laughs> and, 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 and let's I go make... buy another Felder machine. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, or yeah, you're quite right. Do you, or, you, or, or there's a machine that you really need, or you feel, well, you know, I can make that, that, that whole table that I've been longing to make for mm -hmm. so long I can, yeah. I can actually just spend the time in in utter bliss and yeah. and make this do this new design yeah and i've loved that i've loved that that you know the, the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the weft and the weave of of of, of making to me is just lovely <laughs> i think it is too i these days consider myself a maker and it's yep. not necessarily of particular objects or in particular materials. More than a designer these days, it's making that really, really floats my boat. Okay. Yeah.
That 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 is. I'm 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 actually surprised to hear that, and, really? and I know that this this interview is 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 for me, not for you. But I, I but I'm surprised that because I've seen some of your work, Adrian, and I'm I am I honestly mean this. I'm blown away. Right? <laughs> We can have uh, mutual appreciation society. Yes, well, we, 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 we could, and I, know, I, I understand that it's not about that, but, but I, I, I really mean that. I've, I've got a, a huge amount of respect for your work. I've yes, seen yes, it firsthand. Um, I, lo- I love the way that you can weave into your, your, your making a sense of art uh, and, and certainly a very strong sense of design. So, I, I, look, look, I think, I think it's a modesty thing. You, you, you're being no, very it's, modest. No, it's not. I'd like, to, I'd like to think so too, but it's not. It's just really not. It's, what, it's who I am. It's, mm. um, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental thing and it's not um, – Hmm. I've got some real problems with the word design, especially if yep. you've got a capital D and in inverted commas around it. I have a real yes. problem with it. It's yep. really fundamentally boring, but that's not the reason that I call myself or think of myself as a maker. It's because of what fundamentally drives me, and that is to make things. To even fix things, to get things working, to make things as fast and as best and as well as I can is much more interesting than a form or a style. Yep. Look, I I, I find that those words of yours are are, um, ones which I think I would use to describe myself as well. I mean, fundamentally, I started out as a maker, certainly not as a designer. I mean, the work Mm. that we... My, my, my dad and I did in the early days. It was all traditional stuff, but but I was eternally grateful for having done that because it taught me so much about the making that mm. that that in my more recent years, you know, the, perhaps the past twenty five, maybe maybe thirty years, I've been doing what I would regard as as I would call it non traditional furniture, contemporary furniture. Um, perhaps I, I, don't, I don't know, but but it's it is it has helped me make those things so much better than 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 I would have been able to had I not done the traditional function. Yeah, you've day. got a background, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a background in making, and yeah. and if if I were and design I, too, though. Yeah, look, I've never had formal training in design, um, and do I? Re- you know, if, if you ask me to honestly answer the question, do I regard myself as a good designer? And I know that you haven't asked that question, but if you were to, go on. Um, I would, I would, I would have to answer. There's, a, there's a kind of ambivalence about that. Um, in, in, in my own mind, I would, I guess, like you, I'd, I'd rather not answer that. But, but I don't think I'm a bad designer. I don't think, I don't think I'm a brilliant designer. Absolutely not. I, I'm, I'd be the first person to admit that. Um, am, am I a good maker? I'm happy. I'm happy enough with with my making skills. It, 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 I'm I'm sufficiently proud of my making skills to let anyone see it and inspect it, and mm. and I'm happy with that. It doesn't have to be a, 
it doesn't have to be any more than that. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm entirely happy with that. I'd like to just talk about the notion of design. Design is about solving problems, and you could design a way of working in the same way as you can design what something looks like. And I think people get too caught up in what a thing might look like. And yep. in addition to that, it's style which would also include traditional styles as opposed to how a human being might interact with that or how it might be made in a more efficient way Mm. with less materials, structural Mm. soundness, and Mm. to get caught up in only one aspect of the problem solving that design brings to the equation, which I'm going to call style and form. maybe materials, is kind of a bit sad because there's so much else to the problem. Like there's... Again, yep. How are you going to put those materials together and what materials are going to use and what textures are they? Yeah, what colour is it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, all of that. So so when when it comes to design, I mean, uh, you know, again, what what you've just spelled out there really kind of, it it, it resonates with, with me. I, I, f- I feel that there is not always a sufficient honesty around use of materials, especially especially amongst woodworkers. So, 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 so we often, as woodworkers, we feel that we can solve any uh, making problem with wood. And, <laughs> and you know, and, but you can. And, 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 <laughs> no, I'm well, you, you well, can. I, I, I guess you can. You build it if you if you. If, in some cases, you have to have massive pieces of wood. Well, mm. I think a piece of steel might work a lot better. Yeah, or um, plastic. Or plastic, absolutely. Mm. Fiberglass or, or mm. carbon fibre or, you know, th- there's a whole range of, of, of materials that we as woodworkers, we so damned up ourselves about. Well, we, uh, get, we get seduced by the material. And that's all very well, but we, we, but we lose the fact that sometimes by contrasting less wood, with um, with other materials showcases that would so much better anyway mm. than than having big big lumps of it. Mm. So, did you look, see uh, Grant Vaughan's object? I don't even know if it has a function at all, but it it was entered into the Maker of the Year that Australian Wood mm-hmm. Review put together. Did you see that? Grant Vaughan is a a sculptor extraordinaire. Um, I did see it. It was it was a, a ebonized piece from memory, but yes, yeah. I. I, mm-hmm. I it, uh, just extraordinary I, in, in my book. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's, he's a person that works in wood that actually kind of transcends the material as well. Like that is an exquisite piece of... The, the guy, Grant Vaughan, has been doing exquisite work for... Ever. Longer, <laughs> longer than, than, than you and I realised. I remember going to the, you, you might, might not remember this, but there was, a, there was an exhibition put on, interestingly enough, Raff and Linda Nathan mm-hmm. in Melbourne in, I don't know, 1987, I think it was, called the Australian Furniture Design Awards. And, and mm. um, Dave Street and I entered a couple of chairs on that and we won an award, which was, which was yeah, great. Yeah. But where, where I'm going with this is that there was a desk there made by Grant Vaughan and this thing was just sublime, sublimely mm. beautiful. Mm. It was just exquisite. And, um, and this is in 1987. And, he, he, and, and even prior to that, he had a number of years um, under his belt. So mm. um, his, I, I, I kind of regard Grant Vaughan as a little bit of an unsung hero in this, in this game of ours. I really do. 
Well, I'm an admirer of his work, very much so. Yep, yep, yep absolutely. Couldn't agree mm. with you more. But I, I just uh, just an example of some uh, you know person that works in wood that yeah. treats it with respect and also you know it's beyond the wood now. It's not just a fancy piece of wood. It's more yep. than yep. Mm. Yep. And you know what, what? What I love about him is the fact that his work from that time in 1987 all the way to now, you know, to 2020, there is a there is this wonderful common theme running throughout all of his work. You you can it, it is it is quintessentially Grant Vaughan. His work mm. is, and and uh, you know the, the desk that we saw then, I think it was made out of uh, silver ash, as far as I know, and and the legs were carved, so you could see into the wood. You know, you uh, uh, just yeah. just. That's wonderful. I think I know the desk you're talking about. Yeah, I know, I've never I, seen it personally, but I've seen photographs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a superb piece. It really mm, was. Bloody good. Uh, I am going to jump to what I call the last page. Everyone gets these questions, Neil. Right, okay. <laughs> what are the new challenges coming up for you? Right. Um, I, I think we've touched on some of we them. Have. but certainly. Yeah. yeah, you know, for me, the, the, the standout challenges for me are to um, are, are to to get back into my workshop. I don't want to I don't want to ignore it. In other words, I, I want to I want to remain familiar inside my new workspace, yeah. and and I want to make meaningful pieces. The new challenge for me over there is I um, I, I aspire to to doing some sculptural work. I've toyed with it in the past. I, I you might. You might not remember that I made a piece called Karma Sitra, a, a chair. Mm, yep. I think I made it in 1996 or thereabouts. And th- that was perhaps my first foray into into that style of work. So I'd like to explore sculptural work. Do you know, um, just on an aside with Karma Sitra, Sitra yeah. um, <laughs> I, I saw online an exhibition that incorporated African masks and contemporized that yes. in furniture like it's a new exhibition it's probably on right now and okay. i was blown away by the the juxtaposition between the masks so they had masks on the wall and mm-hmm. pieces of furniture that weren't absolutely related to the masks but you could see the relationship a very african style and i'm just putting it out there maybe maybe africa might beckon stylistically well uh, it, it, it could. In fact, I, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually thought that you were you were referring um, to my Karma Sitra chair as having been influenced by by Africa. And and if that was the case, yes, it certainly was. It was influenced by by an African, um, a very very southern African um, uh, sort of a tribal chair mm. that the that, that the chief would sort of sit in. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. In a, sedentary, laid-back fashion, sipping his his corn beer, um, and, and 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 telling telling tales to, to his troop of, of, of people, and and essentially those chairs were were designed, in my opinion, uh, uh, just beautifully by by the fact that they had two components, two carved components out of carved out of solid wood, yeah. um, and one was essentially a a back leg come seat. And the seat consisted of of uh, three or four tines, like a fork, yeah. and that would penetrate the front leg, come back leg, but come come backrest rather. Yeah. And so so it was a matter of of simply 
pulling the, the, the tines of the fork, as it were, out of the, uh, out of the backrest come front leg, and you flat pack this thing. Yeah. So, so that notion um, very, very much influenced my karma secret chair. Yeah, so we're going to see more of that. Bloody good. I would, I, I'm, I'm uh, you bet you. I, 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 you know, you, you, can, you can bet on, on the fact that there will be more of that kind of work coming out of my, my little workshop studio. Yeah. And I hope, I hope you can put it together in a solo exhibition too. I think it would be really good to see just your activity Thank you. I I, I, I would love that. I, I would I would I would absolutely love that. I mean, I've never really had a sufficiently um, good body of work together that I could I could I could have uh, I could put together a solo exhibition. But I'd love to do that. And of can course, I, can I make a suggestion to you? Can mm-hmm. I suggest that you go for a new work grant through the Australia Council and? I'm sure that the Western Australian state government will also have an arts funding body. I suggest you also go for funding through them to build a body of work that will showcase your new ideas along Mm -hmm. X, Y and Z lines that will be exhibited at Sydney Opera House. What a great idea. In 2022, I think you would be able to put together a very strong proposal and it would be great for the for our cultural benefit, not only as as uh, craftspeople or designers or makers, but for us. That's look, yeah, that, that, uh, those are incredibly kind words, and I really appreciate your confidence in my abilities to to put that sort of thing together. I'd, I'd, the only thing um, is, Neil, you've actually got to do it. It's hard work. Yeah. Them <laughs> Thank you. I, look, I, I I I have to say, Adrian, I I feel so encouraged by those words. You know, at my age of sixty six, I I've sort of thought about this, but you know, it's good to get that sort of encouragement. I'd love to do that. But but 2022, mm, I think more like 2024, 25. Yeah, fair enough. And look, you could you could also incorporate the book that you're writing as well. It could be part of it all. Like it could be meditations in wood as a mm-hmm. sort of a theme and you mm-hmm. could... The name of the exhibition too. I love it. Uh, I love look, it. here we go. I'm, we're, we're just, we're, we're workshopping it. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I love those suggestions. I really do. So I, do I. I but you're I the one that's going not. to have to do it. That's I'm just warning yeah. you now. It's all <laughs> I, I, I understand that, but it's it's. It, I feel quite buoyed up about the the, the notion of doing that. I think that's mm. marvellous. It'd be really so, really good, and you could use one of the funding bodies as the marketing arm of the funding, and you could use one of them, the Australia Council one, to fund mm-hmm. the making. Okay. And I'd be. There's plenty of help out there, but uh, I'd be very happy to help if you need it. Right. Look, I, I think that those are, are, are very wise words. I think I should follow them up. Do it. And, um, and, and, and I'll hopefully do that fairly soon. Yeah, get into it. So, do you have a superpower outside of designing and making things? <laughs> you know, I jotted a few, um, a, a few notes down in regard to that question, and I, I, I can't find them right now, so this is just going to yeah, be Yeah, just off, off the top of your head, yeah. Straight off the top of my head, off the cuff. In fact, everything that I've spoken about so far, I've got all my notes here in front of me. I haven't used any of them, which is, which is nice. It um, is. Yeah, that's right. So, so with regards to a superpower, I, I, I would hope that we're not talking about 
do I believe in a God? And, and I don't know whether that is w- w- where you were heading, but, but, no. but no. No, it's no, much no. more frivolous. Can you fly? Yep. Can, can I fly? Can, yeah. And, and I so much like the, the frivolity of that notion. Yes, I think I can fly. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, um, with... with, with uh, I'm going to just make a note here. Neil can fly. Yeah. <laughs> with arthritic w- wings and all, I, <laughs> I reckon I can fly. <laughs> Um, and and <laughs> yes, I'd I'd love to do that, but very quickly, uh, um, you know, I I uh, just just as a bit of a digression, if you like, I do not believe in in a god, and uh, not that mm-hmm. this comes into into your question at all, and I understand that, but I long gave up on on that notion of a god, so I kind of I kind of feel that that I have. I have a superpower within me, and yeah, but, right. but the thing is, it is it is a lot of the time it is asleep, and I have to cajole it to to get it to to listen to me to for, for me to be able to listen to it and it to me, yeah. um, and 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 I struggle with that. I actually struggle, believe it or not. Um, I mean, uh, I, I struggle with my own sense of can I do things. Yeah. I, I know that this. Perhaps sounds a bit crazy, but I often I, I have never had the confidence that I am any better than anybody else in terms of mm-hmm. making. I don't need to, by the way. I'm, I'm, I must add that that I don't need that. I don't need to know that. But I've never no. felt that yeah. I, I've never felt that I that I am Do you a know, better in maker. Hold that thought. Yeah. Part of that might be a drive to actually get the skills, like continue getting the skills that you need to get to keep it that is. alive. It is. It is. And if, if I may digress just a little bit again and go back to my father. So mm. I, I, I didn't I didn't elaborate too much on the way he um I wouldn't call it I mean look at he he was he was a wonderful father. He never ever abused any of us kids or my mum or anything like that. He was a very gentle person but an incredibly hard Taskmaster. He re- he really was a really really tough old 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 git, and um, he, he really was. But but yeah. you know he never he never gave me any encouragement whatsoever. And and I I don't uh-huh. I don't I don't complain about that. I, I didn't then, um, and I and I certainly don't now. But interestingly enough, it was the fact that he never gave me any encouragement or praise for that matter that I constantly realized, well, I guess I'm still not bloody good enough for him yet, am I? Mm. You know? And so I would drive myself and I would drive myself and I would mm. drive myself. And while I felt this, other people often voiced the fact that I had reached his his, his same level of, of craftsmanship um, at the time that we emigrated. So that was, that was in a period of three years. He drove me. But in a in a in a you know in a funny way, he never never told me how good I was or how bad I was. Well, mm. actually, he, he he would he would excoriate me um, whenever I didn't do things quite as well as he as he would expect them to be done. And, but but interesting enough, about I guess it would have been a month before we we, we finally pushed off for Australia. Um, my mum. Uh, sort of summoned me to to the house from the workshop, and she said, "Look, Neil, you know, I, I just have to tell you this. Your dad has just told me how incredibly good a maker you are. Mm. How, how you have you have arrived. <laughs> this was this was just uh, um, 
incredible news for me. It, it was, it was, uh, well, it was just quite amazing. But it was so sad. I mean, I look at it now, it was so sad that he couldn't have told me that much himself. Yeah, I was just going to ask, did he ever voice it himself? Never voiced it himself. Never once. Um, other than, other than, then he he drove us to the airport to farewell us, you know, mm. on our trip to Australia. And he said, you know, if you ever want to change your mind, come back and work for me. You're most welcome. And that that was kind of a way of saying, yeah. well, uh, you, you, you're, you know, you're, you're good enough. Neil, he probably had this similar situation from his father. It would have probably just been what he knew. It's. It, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd like to, while my, my dad and I never really got on particularly well, I don't want to paint him as the kind of person who was, who was deeply unfair. He wasn't. He was an incredibly generous person. Mm. Uh, in fact, he was, he was kind to a fault. Yeah. You know, he would he would make things and give them away, and and um, he he loved my mum and 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 uh, adored her to 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 a point of of almost ridiculousness. He 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 um, he had so much respect for her, and yeah. and of course so did I. My, I, I loved my mum. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Look, I I grew up in an interesting family. It certainly was, and I and I think that part of part of my father's a disappointment, I suppose uh, we, we can call it in me, was the fact that, that he was an engineer, he was a mechanical engineer, and my older brother Peter was only 11 months older than I was, um, but, but uh, you know, he, his, his influences and, and pushes in life were very different to mine. And he ended up doing civil engineering at the university, and he ended up doing very, very well for himself. And I suppose, in a way, my dad was hoping that I would follow in his footsteps. Um, and I never did. Uh, no, you didn't. But you've certainly. Hmm. Uh, do you have you ever talked to your brother about that? You know, my brother passed away three years ago, very sadly, from a, a rare blood disease. But to answer the question, yes, I've spoken to Peter about it, and he understand. He certainly understands my point of view. Okay. And my siblings, uh, uh, and, I've, and I've got I've got two stepsisters. So my father married twice. Uh-huh. Uh, Two stepsisters and a younger sister, and of course Peter, my my, my older brother, by eleven months. Yeah. We've we've all spoken about it. You know, we 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 all kind of loved my father, but we all realised that 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 he was he was he was his own person. He was he was just just a very very unusual kind of Africana. He was an Africana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's the surname Erasmus, which is a, a Dutch surname. Mm. Yes, so, so we've, we've spoken about it and they, they certainly, and my, my mother certainly understood those issues that, that I had to live with. But, you know, did they, did they sad me? Did they make me a miserable young person? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. I, I, had, I had a wonderful childhood and my parents, both my mum and dad facilitated that without any issues or questions. Mm. You know, I would spend my days out, um, outdoors every day. Um, yeah. until, until the sun went down, I'd come home for dinner and off to bed I'd go. Um, I, I, I almost certainly never did my homework on time. <laughs> that's probably why you never went to university. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> you were too busy. Yeah, I was, I was just too busy. I, I look at, I love my childhood. I, and, yeah. and Peter and I, 
Peter and I were like twins, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, good. We were so close in, in years, and uh, and and we were we were we were brothers, but well, very very close. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Mm. Yeah, it must be sad. Yeah. It's look, it, it is sad, um, you know, and, and especially considering the fact that he was, um, you know, he was sixty four when he died three years ago, yeah. and. Um, and fit as a fiddle. He used to yeah. run marathons and didn't carry an ounce of fat on him, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and no, no cholesterol issues or anything like that. He, he was just so healthy, and all of a sudden he got this thing, and, and yeah. he lasted two months. <laughs> so, Good God. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm over that, 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 that um, terrible sorrow now, obviously, but it, it, yeah. at the time it was, it was shocking, just so shocking. And, 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 of course, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a timely reminder that that one has got to try and get done what one wants to do. You know, don't get it wait. Get, get into it and, and get the stuff done. And your dog's agreeing. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Yeah, get in there. Bloody, bloody get in there. Yeah, she's, she's, she's such a sweet dog. Yeah. She's a, a poodle cross with a golden retriever. Oh yeah, what a lovely, lovely combination. Oh look how they are the sweetest animals on the planet. She's mm. she's such a sweet dog. So she's 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 barking at Pam has just walked in the door. Oh yeah. Yep. Good on your Pam. Yep. Yeah. Good on good on old Pam. Look, Neil, we've had a fantastic conversation. I can't thank you enough for being open and taking the time out to chat about what's going on and what you've done. I really, really appreciate it. Look, uh, Adrian, you are most welcome, and I'm, I'm actually so delighted. Okay. I should ask you, just before we wrap up, how can yep. people get in touch with you? You yep, might say, no, you can't get in touch with me, I'm retired, bugger <laughs> off. No, look, Adrian, I'm, I'd be delighted to, to, you know, for people who may be interested to, to get in touch, whether that's that be about knowing a little bit more about me or wanting a piece even, yep. you know, how lucky that would be, by all means. So the best way would be via my Instagram feed, which is Neil Erasmus, one word, or lowercase, N-E-I-L-E-R-A-S-M-U-S. Yep. Um, my email address, which you have as well. So that's really – website yeah. is, is something that – I would rather not direct people to because it's it's old, it's stuffy, it needs redoing, and certainly once I've done that, I, I can I can pass those details on. Yeah, that's right. As you write your book, you can do your website. You yeah, can publish your book chapter by chapter on your website. How about that? Now there's another, there's another <laughs> great idea. You are honestly so full of really, really great ideas. I like that. <laughs> oh, Neil. <laughs> I think I'm just uh, bouncing yeah. off you. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, look, Adrian, thank you so much as well. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this as, conversation. As have I. Thanks. Marvelous.